Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. And I'm Gavin McIntyre. South Carolina is about a year out from the primary for its next governor's race, but the race has already generated a lot of conversation. The Democratic Party chairman has even predicted that this will be one of the most exciting gubernatorial primaries the state has ever seen. So far, the main Democratic candidates who announced bids are former South Carolina Congressman Joe Cunningham and State Senator Mia McLeod. Whoever advances from the primary will have a tough race against Republican Governor Henry McMaster. The last time South Carolinians put a Democrat in the governor's mansion was in 1998. Today, politics reporters Thomas Novelli and Jamie Lovegrove are going to break down what we know about this race so far and who the major players are. My name is Thomas Novelli, and I am a politics and military reporter for The Post and Courier. So who is Joe Cunningham, and why is he running for governor? Joe Cunningham was seen as a rising star in the Democratic Party, primarily because in 2018, he had a knockout victory in South Carolina's first congressional district, which he had flipped from Republican control to being a Democratic seat. And he really only served one term in Congress. However, his brand grew a huge amount during that time. So he is a lawyer by trade, environmental lawyer, and he became a politician went to Congress and was kind of seen as this bipartisan deal maker in Congress and, you know, kind of a more moderate Democrat overall. And that's somebody who was very appealing to not just uh, some of the voters in the first district, but also just, I think, nationwide, people wanted to see a more bipartisan politician amid some division. And he kind of became a political figurehead for that. So when did Joe Cunningham announce his candidacy? It was late April, but it was kind of the worst kept secret in South Carolina politics. When Joe Cunningham did not win re-election for South Carolina's first congressional district, that was the looming question is what will he do next? And everything had been speculated, but it seemed very shortly after his uh, loss in November, he immediately was being talked about in a lot of political circles as a possible candidate for governor. Additionally, several days before he actually announced he had filed some paperwork, which appeared online so he could start fundraising for his political campaign. So that cat was out of the bag pretty quick. But then he did officially confirm to the Post and Courier that he was going to be announcing his candidacy. And we were able to break that story. And he told us, you know, ultimately, this is something he had been thinking about very shortly after leaving office. So this had been on his mind for a very long time. So in that announcement, he kind of took aim at our current governor, Henry McMaster. What did he say in that initial announcement trying to position himself as a candidate against our, our current Republican governor? Sure. I mean, it's worth pointing out that this is a tough fight for a Democrat in South Carolina for a statewide office. I mean, we take a look at what happened with uh, Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham back in November, where Jamie Harrison had record fundraising numbers, but still wasn't able to even come close to defeating Lindsey Graham. So, you know, Cunningham and his announcement kind of like he did in Congress, he's trying to appeal to both sides of the aisle in some way. So it's taking aim at things that I think a lot of conservatives 
would normally be upset about things like term limits. And he uses McMaster as an example for that. You know, McMaster would, if reelected, be the oldest sitting governor in South Carolina's history. So he takes aim at him and mostly says, look, we don't have innovation in the state. We're lacking behind in education. And he says that ultimately the state house in South Carolina is too aligned with a conservative agenda, one that McMaster is happy to, to back a lot of the time and, and focuses on a lot of conservative social issues. So what he did was he took aim at McMaster's time in office, his age, and ultimately the fact that the South Carolina State House hasn't accomplished as much in terms of innovation over the last couple of years. Has he set any policy objectives? Is he getting into any specifics at this point in his campaign? So it's hard to say what officially his playbook is, but it seems like he's kind of taking like the Elizabeth Warren approach where when she was a Democratic candidate for president of the United States, her whole tagline was Warren has a plan for everything. And at least in the first you know couple months of this campaign, we're starting to see Cunningham adopt something like that. He'll hold these big press conferences about once a month where he talks about one major issue. So he's unveiled his plans on curbing gun violence in the state of South Carolina. One that happened very recently was legalizing marijuana So notably, both of these issues, while they might see overwhelmingly supported by Democratic politicians and advocates, ultimately, it's something that there is broad bipartisan support for both of these things. You know, these plans are all very broad. They're very ambitious. Um, But we also have to think of where we are. We're in South Carolina. We're in a state where the governor's office holds very little constitutional power. So a lot of these things are more like visions than they are concrete plans. You can't go in there and say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and lay out a explicit recipe, if you will, for making this stuff happen. So much of this has to be rubber stamped by the state house and so much of it has to be greenlit by the state house. So, I mean, like, I think overall what we're seeing is him talking about a broad vision that he has. And and when I've pressed him on this during his press conferences, the answer that we usually get is, look, I'm a bipartisan person. I can build those relationships in Columbia with people across the aisle that are Republicans. And ultimately, he pushes some of the responsibility for his plan back on those legislators. Now, more specifically on that press conference on marijuana and legalization that just happened this Monday, what exactly was his plan? What was he saying? There are a, a broad range of things that, that that could mean when you're talking about marijuana and legalization. Well, I thought it was interesting that the phrasing he used for the press conference was end the prohibition on marijuana, where it was this framing of something that we've seen before. This is the new prohibition, if you will. And he really tackled it from a broad range of issues. So Ultimately, he said, one, it should be legalized for recreational and medicinal use. At his press conference, he had a veteran there who was also a registered nurse. And it's true. There is there is science that supports this. There is advocates who support this that say people that have terminal illnesses, chronic illnesses, veterans that suffer with post-traumatic stress disorder, etc., that the use of cannabis products can help them. And it's a smart move, right? I mean, South Carolina is a very military-friendly state. So being able to advocate, look, 
this helps veterans. This helps our men and women in uniform that, that come back with serious illnesses or face certain mental issues. So that's one framework. And then he also brings it to a farming perspective. He's like, look, agriculture is a huge part of our economy. This can help so many farmers generate income that is needed for our state if they were to grow it and to cultivate it, et cetera. And then also heavily tax it, right? I mean, that's it can be a huge economic engine. So he thinks that you know, part of his plan is to create a bunch of revenue from the growing taxing of marijuana so that you can fund things like education, healthcare, etc. And then again, his other element to this was trying to change the stigma behind marijuana. You know, he said we should essentially decriminalize it by expunging low-level drug offenders. And then more importantly, he says and, and this is at a time where South Carolina is facing record numbers of violent crimes that his plan was to divert law enforcement's attention to things like putting more resources towards violent crime. So his plan was multifaceted, right? But I think ultimately it's hard to say it's a full-fledged plan because you need so much support behind this in the state house. So just to clarify, is he supporting only medical marijuana or recreational as well? He's, he supports both. He, he's made that uh, pretty clear. But I think that's the interesting part is that McMaster, for example, has drawn a very clear line on this. He said, no way, absolutely not. Recreational marijuana is not for the state of South Carolina. And he said he would be open to it. McMaster said he would be open to medical marijuana if he felt like it was something that law enforcement could comfortably enforce and regulate in some way. But as we've seen, South Carolina's law enforcement division has said repeatedly, their their chief officer has said that this is not something that, that they're in favor of. So therefore, McMaster's not in favor of it. Has Cunningham himself used marijuana recreationally? He did. He, he did answer in the affirmative when I, when I asked him that question. Um, and I think he just pointed to, again, the stigma of it, right? I mean, this is something that we've seen where politicians are being more open. I mean, Kamala Harris, for example, was very clear about how you know she had used marijuana in the past as well. And I think it's a way where as we see this issue start to cross the political spectrum, I mean, take a look at West Virginia, for example. The governor of West Virginia, who's a pretty ardent Trump supporter, pretty ardent conservative, said that he feels like legalizing marijuana is important for his state, especially as it faces the opioid crisis in Appalachia over there. So Cunningham is, is using this as an example of something that is very much so part of his playbook. Going back to the race itself, so of course, Joe Cunningham would have to win the primary election, which is about a year away in order to face Governor McMaster. And as we'll be talking about a little bit later in today's episode, he has at least one tough Democratic opponent in that primary. But if he were to win that advance to the general, has he or, or has anyone else in the political world of South Carolina weighed in on his competitive potential? I think it's worth pointing out that, that Joe Cunningham is a optimist, certainly, but also I think he, he likes to point at the numbers. I mean, he points out that, yes, he did lose South Carolina's first congressional district, but he performed pretty well at the top of the ticket, especially with Trump at the top of that ticket. 
When you weigh his numbers compared to other things, how Biden performed in South Carolina versus how Joe Cunningham performed in South Carolina, Joe Cunningham performed better. So that's what he's marketing. And he likes to point when people say, well, Joe, can you win in South Carolina as governor? He goes, look, we've heard we can't win before. I mean, when he won in 2018, it was nothing short of a marvel for that congressional district. So he's very much so resting on that same energy, that same charisma. And I think now he's just trying to blow that up to a statewide campaign. Uh, South Carolina Democrats seem pretty excited about it. I think we'll see that be a little bit more clear cut when the primary comes. Republicans almost immediately scoffed when he entered the race. I think the South Carolina GOP put out a pretty scathing statement and they said that they didn't seem too worried about having Cunningham run, especially highlighting his congressional district loss just months prior. So ultimately, the question comes down to how many Republican voters can Joe Cunningham win over in a statewide race? To those who say the Democrat can't win in South Carolina, well, we've heard that before. In 2018, thanks to many of you, I flipped a congressional district that had not voted for a Democrat in 40 years. A district that Donald Trump won by 13 points. On election night in 2018, the experts gave us a 9%, not 9-0, a 9% chance of winning. But we won then. And we're going to do it again. I'm Jamie Lovegrove. I'm a political reporter in the Columbia Bureau of the Post and Courier. So we know we have Joe Cunningham entering the Democratic primary race for governor, but we also got a new announcement in the last few months. Could you talk about who was Mia McLeod and why she's running for governor? At the beginning of June, uh, State Senator Mia McLeod, who has represented a part of uh, Richland County, for she's been in the Senate since 2016, won elections in the Senate in 2016. Before that, she was in the state house. She's been in the state house in general for about 10 years in the General Assembly. And she uh, jumped into the race in early June. There was a lot of speculation that she was taking a strong look at it. Um, she's been, you know, a pretty vocal Democrat in the state Senate for the last several years. And her pitch in her announcement outside of the Majeska Simpkins House in Columbia, which is the historic home of an important African-American civil rights leader, public health reformer. You know, she argued that South Carolina needs to try something different. South Carolina Democrats specifically need to try something different. They have a long history of nominating white men in governor's races, moderate white men who they think can win over moderate Republican voters, which... For a long time, Democrats have viewed as really the only way to win a state like South Carolina, a conservative state that has not elected a Democrat to any statewide office since 2006 and not elected a governor, Democratic governor, since 1998. They have tried this same strategy over and over again, and she has argued that it's time to give another uh, strategy a try to elect or to nominate rather a, a more progressive black woman who could potentially mobilize 
voters who may not have shown up in past elections. And that that's really been her pitch. Yeah. And the significance of her candidacy as a black woman, especially if she were to go on to win the primary, that's something, right, that even Governor McMaster, who if she were to win that primary, she would she would face even acknowledged, right, when she announced? It would certainly be historic. She is uh, the first black woman to, to run for governor. It is a, a significant move. It's South Carolina is a state that has, uh, you know, never elected a black man to the governor's office. We had a history-defying governor, a barrier-breaking governor in Nikki Haley when it comes to identity, and that, you know, she was not only the first female governor, but also first minority governor as well. But Mia McLeod would be another significant historic nominee. And, and yes, both the governor and, and Joe Cunningham acknowledged the historic nature of her candidacy when she got into the race. And what has Senator McLeod said about why Democratic voters should support her? You know, she's argued that she has the experience of having been in the General Assembly for the last 10 years to not need any on-the-job training, and that she would come into the role of governor on day one knowing about how all of the state agencies operate, knowing all of her colleagues in the legislature, really understanding the politics of the state house while also bringing, again, a, a new perspective, something on a personal level that, that we've never seen in a, in a South Carolina governor. First of all, a Democrat, which is the first thing we would have seen, you know, we haven't seen in, in over two decades, but also Black woman from Bennettsville, small town South Carolina, the idea that that would also bring a, a new perspective. Has she spoken on any specific issues so far in her candidacy? Of course, this announcement was was pretty recent. Or is there anything from her record as a state legislator that maybe gives us some hints as to what might be uh, some of the issues that she'll focus on in her campaign? So she has not really had any public events basically since her announcement. And, you know, as we said, her announcement was very recent. It was at the beginning of June. So she's only been in this race for a little over a month and and there's a whole lot of campaigning left to be done. She's been traveling around the state meeting mostly privately with with folks, with supporters, starting to raise money. But, you know, we know that she has been a pretty reliable Democratic vote in the state Senate up and down the line. You know, I think there are few, if any, issues that she has bucked her party on. She has been uh, a fierce opponent of some of the uh, abortion ban bills that have been filed by Republicans in the state house and has spoken very forcefully against those. We can certainly expect that she would not be continuing to be involved in in the lawsuit for example that the state is in, in which the state is defending the abortion ban uh, that we've talked about on this podcast a number of times. You know, and she talked a lot in her announcement speech about racial equality. And as I mentioned, it was outside of the Majeska Simpkins house, the, the historic home of the civil rights worker. And she talked a lot about Majeska Simpkins' legacy, fighting for racial equality, fighting for, for working people, and said that that would be, you know, a big focus of her time as governor if she were elected. So that has been sort of the, the introduction we've gotten to, to her campaign. For those of you who may not know why we've chosen to be here 
at the home of the late civil rights activist, Majeska Monteith Simpkins. It's because I used to visit here with my dad when I was a college student at the University of South Carolina. The two of them would sit in the living room and on the porch for hours sometimes, talking about the struggles and the challenges facing people of color. When it came to equity in education and healthcare, she fearlessly and unapologetically fought for racial equality and advanced the causes of working people and those who were underrepresented so that they too would have a voice and a reason to hope for a brighter South Carolina. I had no idea then that Ms. Majeska's causes would one day become my own. Let's talk a little bit about Governor McMaster and and what we know about him as a as a candidate. So the last time that Governor McMaster ran, it wasn't really a reelection campaign. So let's talk about that a little bit, how Governor McMaster came into office and maybe what we might have learned about him as a candidate during his last campaign. Governor McMaster is a very long time South Carolina political figure. He has pretty publicly wanted to be governor since as far back as the 1980s when he was a U.S. attorney in South Carolina under President Ronald Reagan. He went on to become the chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party. He became the attorney general of South Carolina, and he eventually became lieutenant governor of South Carolina. And it was from that position that he finally ultimately got the position that he really wanted. He had run in 2010 in the Republican primary for governor, but of course the winner of that primary and in quite a a shocking meteoric rise was Nikki Haley. Fast forward six years after Nikki Haley was reelected in 2014 and she gets picked for a Trump administration position as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. There's been a lot of reporting and a lot of speculation in the years since that Henry McMaster played a role in her selection. He was very, very close to President Trump. He was the first statewide elected official in the country to endorse him in January of 2016, a really significant moment in that race. And maintained a very close alliance to President Trump. So there was a lot of talk that he may have basically asked the president, pick her so that he could ascend to the governor's office. So that meant in 2018, two years into his time as governor, he faced his first, again, not re-election because he had not been elected before, but his first campaign. He faced a very significant Republican primary challenge from several candidates including uh, former DHEC director Catherine Templeton and Greenville businessman John Warren, to name a few. The lieutenant governor, Kevin Bryant, also ran. A former state senator, Yancey McGill, also ran. It was a crowded Republican primary. Governor McMaster went to a runoff. He prevailed against John Warren uh, in that runoff and then defeated Democrat James Smith, a state lawmaker, in the general election by about eight points. With this election, 
2022, Governor McMaster has the potential to become the longest serving governor in South Carolina history because governors in South Carolina are historically limited to two terms in office, two elections in office. But because of the fact that Governor McMaster had those two extra years at the beginning of his time in office, he could end up serving a total of 10 years, which would be a significant development. He would become the longest serving governor we've ever had, and he would really leave a lasting mark on the state, the type of mark that he has uh, long dreamt about. So he is really, he is synonymous with South Carolina politics at this point. Do we have an idea yet of how these two main Democratic challengers compared to Governor McMaster on what they've been able to raise so far? Well, of course, they're going to have some catching up to do, which is is not surprising given the fact that the governor has been in office now for, for several years. You know, it's his second campaign in a row, his third campaign for governor. He ran in 2010. And so he's a very experienced candidate. He has a, a huge network of donors, especially helped by the fact that the Republican Governors Association is supporting him. And that opens up you know, a wider network of donors as well. But Joe Cunningham has gotten off to a pretty fast start. He raised well over uh, $600,000 in his first two months in the race and now has about $437,000, I believe, left in his campaign account. He's gotten off to a pretty fast start. That is about the same pace, about the same rate that the governor raised uh, his money in the last three months. He raised about 890000 from April through June. But of course, he had an extra month. So in terms of the rate that those two candidates are raising, it's about the same. You know, Senator McLeod, who has not run a really major campaign like this before, she's had, she had a competitive race for, for state Senate in 2016, but has not run for Congress like Joe Cunningham, has not run for governor or attorney general like Henry McMaster has. So she raised about $100,000 in her first month in the race which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at, a a solid start. She may, as we get further along here, struggle to keep up with Cunningham, just given the head start that he has by by having built a fundraising list during his campaigns for Congress, you know, a nationwide donor base that could give him a bit of a, a leg up. But both of them will need to catch up to the governor, especially if they have to spend a lot of their money during the primary. And as McMaster continues to build his campaign, have any other, you know, Republican challengers shown any interest in possibly stepping into the the primary? What we're all really watching to see is really two potential challengers. Certainly there could be others that are looking at it that we don't know about, but two of them are really the ones we've been most focused on. One is a guy I mentioned earlier, Greenville businessman John Warren, who ran in 2018 came in second place in the original five-way primary, was able to keep the governor below 50% and send him to a runoff, but then lost in that runoff. He has remained very active in South Carolina politics, even though he had never been elected to any positions. He created a PAC, he sold his business, and he was very active in the 2020 elections at the state house level. So he has been very active in the background. And that has certainly prompted speculation that he may run again. And then the other potential candidate that we are waiting to see and hear from is State Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey, a Republican from Edgefield. 
He has risen quite quickly in South Carolina politics since entering the state house in, in 2007, is now the leader of the Republican caucus in the state Senate, and has been very, very critical of Governor McMaster over the last year and a half. I mean, he's, he's been critical of him for longer than that, honestly, but he's really stepped up his criticism of him. He, he was very, very critical of his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. He's been very critical of some of his state agency directors and, and critical of the fact that Governor McMaster has not taken on more of a role in pushing them to, to reform their agencies. The fact that he has just called the governor out so publicly and so often naturally prompted speculation that he was interested in challenging him. And and he has not denied that by any means. And he's basically said that he will make a decision at some point in the future. You know, I will say for both of these candidates, I imagine there is a realization and an appreciation of the fact that this is going to be a very, very uphill battle to try to beat Governor McMaster in a Republican primary. It is extremely difficult in modern Republican politics to beat uh, an incumbent who has the support of President Trump, you know, who could potentially get President, former President Trump to come here and do a rally for him, who has the backing of the Republican Governors Association, who already has $1.74 million in his campaign account. That is, that is a formidable uh, opponent. Uh, and so, you know, I think both of them are, are probably thinking long and hard about whether or not it is feasible to beat him. But I think there's, there's definitely a real shot that one or both of them could still end up getting into this race. And, and we'll just have to, to wait and see on that. All right, listeners, that's all for today. For more politics coverage from the Post and Courier, you can sign up for our Palmetto Politics newsletter that comes out every weekday morning with the latest stories from the State House and beyond. We'll leave a link in today's show notes to sign up. You can also sign up for our podcast newsletter, which will deliver new episodes to your inbox every Thursday afternoon. And for comments, questions, or suggestions about the show, you can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or DM us on Twitter at UnderstandSC. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at UnderstandSC at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at UnderstandSC. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.